Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Chris Rhea. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be with you this morning. If you're watching online, it's good to have you here. And like Pastor Dave said, this is our last message in our series, True or False. Who's been enjoying it so far? I get an interesting topic here uh, today. The question is this, true or false, there's no such thing as the devil. True or false, there's no such thing as the devil. I do want to put a little disclaimer on this message before I get started. If you have kids in the building, I might want to take them to our children's classroom today. And if you're watching online and you have your kids around, this message can be a little intense because we are going to dive into some spiritual warfare and some things like that. So, true or false, there's no such thing as the devil. There was a recent poll where they polled Christians in America, and when they did this poll, 40% of Christians in America said they did not believe that the devil was an actual real being, but rather a symbol of evil. 40%, four out of 10. And then they did a poll and they surveyed adult Americans and found that 80% of adult Americans still believe that there is a God. 80% of Americans believe there's a God, but out of that 80%, 68% of those do not believe that the devil is a real being. It's more of a symbol of evil. So today we're going to talk about this. Is there such thing as the devil? And yes, I absolutely believe this, that there is a supernatural world, invisible world that we cannot see. There is a real enemy seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. And there are supernatural and spiritual things happening in the realms that we cannot see that have an effect on our physical world. I have had encounters, both encounters with the spiritual side of things, but I have encountered some things that felt dark or oppressive in my life. I'll never forget when I was a kid, one night in the middle of the night, I woke up and I couldn't breathe. And I thought my brother had come into the room and grabbed me and was squeezing me. And I was yelling, Tony, get off me, get off me. And all of a sudden, I came to and there was no one in the room but me. And a spirit of fear attacked me in that moment. And I know there was something spiritual happening. Luckily, I had parents who could come in and know what to do in that situation. But I believe that the spiritual realm is real. There is good, there is evil happening all around us in ways we do not understand. And I believe this, not because it's just something I believe, but because it comes from the Bible. The Word of God talks about this a lot. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to dive in a little bit and take a look at what the Bible says about Satan, what's going on in the spiritual realm, and then what Satan tries to do to us 
and then what our response to that should be. That's how it's going to go this morning. So the Bible teaches us that Satan wasn't always bad. He wasn't always evil. In fact, he was actually an angel of God at one point, a beautiful angel apparently, known as Lucifer or often called the morning star. Satan in all of his splendor and beauty became jealous of God. He wanted to be like God. He wasn't happy just being one of the angels. He wanted to be the most powerful angel. And he convinced some other angels that he had authority, that he was something special, and that he could overpower God. And that wasn't going to happen because God cannot be overpowered. You see, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus cried out. He said, God, take this cup from me, but not what I will, what you will be done. That's the kind of attitude. Even though Jesus was the son of God, he had power, he had authority, he never tried to overpower God. He said, your will be done. Satan wanted his will to be done. He was selfish, he was prideful. And that wasn't gonna fly. And in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, we see what happens. The word of God says, oh, how you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of dawn. You have been cast down to earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will rise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high God. This was Satan's attitude. He wanted to make himself the most high. He wanted to have that position of power. And then Revelation 12 gives us this account, starting in verse 7. The Bible says, and there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon or the devil, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. Verse 9 says, the great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And that gave birth to spiritual warfare on the earth. The enemy and his demons were thrown to the earth and they roam around. That's where we get this whole spiritual warfare idea. And as far as I can tell, and there's maybe a couple I might be missing, but I want to go through the different names the Bible has for the devil so we can see what we're dealing with here a little bit. The first name I want to talk about is Satan. It literally means adversary. The enemy is antagonistic to the plans and the purposes of God. He is God's adversary. Devil means slanderous. His intention is to defame and malign the character and intentions of God. This is what he tries to do. Lucifer means day star or shining one. And this is where we get it wrong sometimes. The enemy's appearance is actually very attractive. You know, you'll see him in movies or films and he's portrayed as this like dark being, 
ugly smells probably, but actually he was very alluring, attractive, and charming. That's what Lucifer means. Tempter means the one who tempts us and tries to entice us to sin. That's what the enemy is doing. He's trying to entice us towards sin because why? He knows that if he can get us to sin and get us to walk away from God's plan or purpose from our life, his ideal law that leads to true freedom, he can create a ton of baggage in our lives. You see, God gives us some some rules or some things to follow in the word of God because he knows if we follow these things, it's gonna lead to the best life possible. Here's a way to, this is what he says, here's a way to have the most peace on earth. Here's the way to have the best life possible on earth. But the enemy, he tries to tempt us and say, you won't surely die. Just eat of this, just taste of this. If you do this, you'll actually be free. And we buy into that and what happens, it creates pain and baggage in the lives of the people around us and the people that we love. So the enemy's trying to do that to us. He's trying to destroy us through sin, through bad choices, through the consequences of those bad choices. Another name is ruler of the world. It means the enemy's approach is not just individual. It's global. He doesn't just want to destroy us on an individual level. He has global plans. He's trying to lead the whole world astray. Prince of darkness or prince of the air is another name. And it means the devil does not work alone. He's the chief leader, but he has demons. He has beings that are constantly trying to lead us astray. Accuser means the one who condemns. The enemy seeks to weaken our confidence and influence by converting condemnation and guilt by trying to get us to feel condemned and guilty. He's constantly accusing us. Father of lies means liar and falsifier. He's always seeking to falsify and deceive, always. Always trying to take us away from the truth. And that's important to know. In a world with a lot of ideas, it's important to know the enemy is the one who's trying to pull us away from the truth. Now, as we talk about this, I want to be clear, not everything that happens in life is demonic, is a demonic influence. For instance, yesterday, I was trying to change my windshield wiper blades on my car. It should be a five-minute thing. You went to AutoZone, I came back from AutoZone, I popped the other ones off, I put the one driver's side one on, no problem. The second one gave me all kinds of problems. What should have taken five minutes turned into an hour-long project with two trips to AutoZone. That wasn't the enemy. That was me, okay? That was me just buying the wrong thing at the wrong time and not knowing fully how to do this. So... If your kids are acting up, it doesn't necessarily mean you got to cast a demon out. They might just need a nap. Do you know what I mean? 
Like if your teenager does something stupid, it's not because they have a demon most likely. It's because they're a teenager. You know, it's sometimes they do something stupid. No offense. We all been there. So not every problem is a demonic problem, but what I want to do for the purpose of this message is talk about what Satan and his demons do try to do to us. Number one, I believe the enemy is trying to influence the leaders of nations. I already talked about that he is global and he's trying to do this. And I, I get this idea from the book of Daniel. In Daniel, the word of God says this, Daniel had prayed and for 21 days, for three weeks, nothing happened. And then an angel of the Lord came to him and said this, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. What was this? This was an evil prince in an evil spirit in the heavenly realms doing battle in a spiritual realm. Scripture goes on to say, then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. So there was this whole battle going on. As Daniel was praying, as he was believing God for something, there was a whole battle going on in the heavenly realms, in the spiritual realm that he could not even see. So behind this world is a spirit world that affects our physical world. It's undeniable. That's why when you look back at history, you can see all kinds of events, like the Holocaust. That was definitely a demonic influence there. Uh, genocide, human trafficking. Right now, in places of the world when peop- where people are actually putting Christians to death just for being a Christian, that's backed by demonic influence. That's not just a human being being that evil. It's backed by an enemy who is leading people astray and getting them to do things and deceiving them into thinking it's the right thing to do. So that's the first thing. Second thing is he tries to inflict suffering on you and your family. And this can be a scary one sometimes. We think about this if we're not careful, if we think too hard about it, that there's an enemy trying to constantly inflict suffering. And I get this because in Matthew 17, 15, there's a story about a father who brings what most scholars believe is like a young boy to Jesus. And he says this, he says, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. Some translation says he's thrown into the fire or he throws himself into the fire, into the water. And I want you to imagine this for a second. It's a young four, five, six-year-old boy. Imagine your son, your daughter, your nephew, your niece, your grandson, your granddaughter, being so tormented that it's literally there's something inside of that kid that's trying to throw himself into a water and drown or into a fire and hurt himself. How hard would it be to be the parent of this, guy, this kid? How scary, how fearful. How many times did he have to rescue his son? And finally, he brings him to Jesus and says, can you help me? Good news is Jesus can help. Jesus delivered this kid 100%. But that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to inflict pain on us. 
He wants to scheme. The next thing is he wants to scheme to lure us away from God. This is his whole plan. In fact, one of the greatest tools he has is trying to convince people he doesn't exist. Because then everything's on God, right? So he lures, he tries to lure us away. In 1 Timothy 4.1, Paul says this to Timothy. He says, the spirit clearly says that in the later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Don't look now, but you really can have any version of Christianity you want if you listen to the right person today. Like whatever kind of Christianity you think is right that you line up with in your belief system, you can have. If you want to have a really legalistic kind of law-based Christianity that if you do good things, you're good. If you do bad things, you're bad. You can find that out there. There's a YouTuber out there preaching that. If you want the kind of Christianity that says, hey, you can do whatever you want. Christ paid the price for it all. Live your life, be free, do whatever you want to do without consequence. You can find that. You can find that version of Christianity out there. You can find conservative versions of Christianity, progressive versions of Christianity, liberal versions of Christianity. Whatever Christianity you want, it's out there today. Why? Because the enemy is trying to lure us away from God, the truth of God's word, what it really is. And the message is so special. It needs no addition. The fact that God loved us so much and we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but he still loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to this earth to pay a price for our sin, die a horrific death, to raise from the dead, defeat death, so now that we can have an eternity with him. That's an amazing message. It needs no changing. It needs nothing. But the enemy is trying to lure people away. Maybe I'll just give them just a little version of Christianity that's a little different, then slowly they'll stop reading God's word. Slowly they'll stop trusting it as the word of God. Slowly they'll stop praying and seeking the Lord, but they'll just listen to other people and listen to what their itchy ears want to hear. That's what the Bible says. This is what's happening. So we got to be careful that we're not just listening to things Thinking, oh, this is better than what I've learned before. We've got to make sure what we're listening to is from God. The enemy also wants to paralyze us with fear. He wants us paralyzed by fear. Talk about COVID-19. I have no doubt that's straight from the enemy. He wants to paralyze us with fear. What has happened in the world? I've never seen a world this fearful in my lifetime. I mean, the world's been bad throughout the ages. Don't get me wrong. There was a lot of reasons to fear, especially the early church being Christians. But the enemy is trying to paralyze us with fear. I'll never forget one time I was on the mission field in Panama. I was in the Darien jungle. And Megan and I were leading a, a mission trip with our students when we were youth pastors at the time. 
And we got out to this field. And it was just starting to become evening and we were going to do a big crusade in just a couple hours. And we were setting up for it. And we're on this field, I mean, feels like the other end of the world to me. And I'm standing there and it's dark all around me in this field. They only had lights on the stage. It wasn't like what we have where we can put lights everywhere. It was this dark field with just lights on the stage. And I'm walking around this dark field and a spirit of fear hit me so hard. The enemy just started lying. You're alone on this field. God's not coming. You're alone out here. You're all the way out on this mission trip by yourself. You're going to be harmed tonight. Your students are going to be harmed tonight. It's all going to be your fault. These are the things that I kept hearing in my spirit while I'm walking around that place and literally paralyzed me with fear for a few moments. I prayed through it. And that evening, not only did people come to know Christ, thousands of people come to know Christ and their lives were changed forever, but there were miracles. There were all kinds of encounter with God that took place on that field. And I know that that was an attack from the enemy trying to paralyze me with fear. And that's what he's doing. If you are paralyzed by fear because of health, because of your kids, because of your family, or you're just fearful all the time and you're trying to grip onto any seeming thing, any kind of control you can, but you are just full of fear, most likely the enemy is trying to paralyze you with fear, but I got good news, you don't have to live like that anymore. Because the Bible says, in 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And that is available. If you are paralyzed by fear in this place, I got hope for you today. Soundness of mind and hope and power of love is available for you today. Another thing the enemy tries to do is dull our passion for God. Any way that he can, he seeks to dim our desire for prayer. I don't really need to pray. I don't really need to see God's face. I don't really need to know his word. I go to church. I hear about God. I listen to podcasts every once in a while. I know enough. No, what... What the Word of God teaches us is that all of us, not just pastors, not just leaders, but all of us can walk with God. We spend time in prayer, in worship, reading His Word and applying it to our lives, and we develop a walk with God where the Spirit of the living God is leading us, and He's guiding us, and He's speaking to us, and He's speaking through us, and He's using us to make a difference in the world. Without that relationship, we, are, we have a target on our back. And little by little, he wants to lure us away from God so that when something happens in your life that is not a good thing, it attacks your foundation because there's not really a big foundation there. What did Jesus say? Those who build their house on a solid foundation, the word of God on faith, 
When the storms of life come, it, that house ain't going anywhere. But the enemy wants you to build your foundation on the sand. That's really what he wants you to do. He's trying to dull your passion for God. We need to keep that passion strong, church. The only, the only way we're going to experience a powerful move of God is if the church has a strong passion for God. Like if we lead the way in having a passion for our God. The next thing the enemy tries to do is he tries to attack your identity. This is what he's trying to do. See, the Bible tells me that I am a son of the living God. If you're a female in this place, you are a daughter of the king. You are a co-heir of Jesus Christ. The spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Your identity is seated with Christ in the heavenlies. You have authority. You have power. You have the love of God. You have a savior. You have God behind you. You are an incredible man or woman because of God in you. That's what the Bible says. But the enemy wants to tell you you're a failure. Because you failed, because you made a mistake, because you gave into a temptation, you're a failure. You're not a son. You're not a daughter. You're a sinner. Attack your identity. This is what he wants to do. He wants to tell you what you are not. When let me tell you, the only reason any one of us can be a son or daughter of God is because Christ's righteousness in us, not anything we've done on our own. But that's the lie. We all believe it. I've believed it. An attack on our identity. I'm not who God says I am. I don't deserve this. These are attacks on our identity. And that keeps us stuck. When we don't feel like a man of God or a woman of God, we don't act like a man or woman of God. When we feel like a man or woman of God, we act like a man or woman of God. That's your identity. I don't care about your past mistakes. If you've made Christ Jesus your Lord and Savior, you're walking with the Spirit and that's your identity as a man or woman of God. Men and women of God do stupid things sometimes. It's all throughout Scripture. Doesn't mean that David wasn't a man after God's own heart. He didn't change his identity after he sinned. No, when we repent, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sin. And we're righteous because of Christ only. Know who you are. Know who you are. The next thing that the enemy tries to do is he tries to darken our hearts. Because if we have darkness in our hearts, we're not acting in the love of God. He tries to do this with past traumas in our life, pain, anxiety, depression. He tries to keep us stuck in a place of bitterness, animosity, and unforgiveness. Ever wonder why it's so hard to forgive someone who's hurt you or someone you love? Because the enemy doesn't want you to. Because if you don't, you're stuck. You're stuck in that place. 
your heart is darkened. And when you have a darkened heart, it's hard to see the good in people. It's hard to see to the love of God. It's hard to love people. I firmly believe that our true battle in America today is not a political party, one or the other. It's the enemy. The enemy is trying to divide us and darken our hearts towards each other. Why? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, a house divided against itself will not stand. Yet we have become the divided states of America. We really have. And we want to point to a party. Point to the enemy. He's the one trying to darken our hearts to each other so that you can't even look at a person on the other side of the aisle. That's a dark heart. That's not the love of God. That's not what Jesus would do. Jesus didn't deny any person the right to come to him or to sit with them or to talk to him. He ate and drank with sinners and people didn't believe the same way as him. Why? Because his heart wasn't darkened. It was alive. It was well. It was pure. And that's the kind of pureness we have to have in this world if we're going to come back to the United States of America, if we're going to bring the world together because this polarization is not just happening in America, it's happening in the whole world. The enemy's at work. So that's the things the enemy tries to do to attack our souls. How's everyone doing? That's kind of heavy, right? Okay, let's talk about us battling. How do we battle the darkness? If we know that's what the enemy and his demons are trying to do to us, how do we combat this? Well, number one, don't treat our enemy lightly. Don't treat your enemy lightly. Understand that he is powerful. This is why I talked about us walking in the spirit, us spending time with God, because if we try on our own to take out the enemy, we're underestimating him. I know this because in the book of Acts, chapter 19, I don't have time to read through the whole thing. You can read it later. But there was a story about the seven sons of Sceva. And what these seven sons of Sceva tried to do is they tried to cast out a demon out of a man who was demon-possessed. Seven guys went up to a man. But here's the thing. They didn't really know Christ. But they saw Paul do this one time. So they said this to the man. They said, hey, enemy, in the name of Jesus Christ, whom Paul preaches, come out. You know what happens in the story? This one demon took on these seven guys, MMA style. And these seven grown men, the Bible says, left that house bleeding and naked. Because one guy beat them. All seven of them. We can't underestimate the enemy. We can't try to do this in our own strength. We need power. We need authority. And we're going to get to that in a minute, how we get that. But I'm telling you, we can't underestimate who the enemy is. And the Bible gives us all kinds of weapons to fight with. 
Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, study it. If you don't know that, study it. Here's a book by Priscilla Shire, one of the best studies I've ever done on the armor of God and how we apply it to our lives. Do this study. It's worth it because it tells us how to fight. I don't have time to get into all of those things. Tim Mackler did a great teaching on that at a prayer and praise a couple months ago. Another reason to come out to prayer and praise on Wednesday. You get some great teachings there. But we've got weapons to fight with and we've got to learn how to use them. And that is how we don't take our enemy lightly. The second thing is we don't flirt with darkness. This is a big one. I, I'll never forget this story. I was in college and everyone was gone. My two roommates were gone for the night. I was in my apartment alone. They were hanging out. Megan was gone, and I was just by myself. And so I was flipping through the channels. This was before Netflix, before anything. You had to literally watch what was on TV. And if that meant coming in halfway through a movie, that's what you did. So I'm flipping through the channels, and there's this movie that catches my attention, and it's called The Craft. It's a movie that came out in the 90s. It's about three girls, I think something like this, don't remember 100%, but they're involved in witchcraft and they use this demonic power to inflict pain and different things on people. And I ended up watching this whole movie. Now, I'm not a horror film guy. I'm not like, I don't watch, I wasn't allowed to watch these films growing up. But for some reason, I don't know, it caught my attention and I wanted to watch it. So I watched this whole movie. And I got to tell you, at the end of that movie, I was flipped out. I felt a spirit of fear. I felt darkness in my apartment. I put all the lights on. I mean, I went and I put all the lights on. I'm like, put on worship music. I'm walking around, praying, rebuking things, doing everything I know to do, getting on the full armor. And I'm telling you, it was weeks before I felt safe in that apartment again. And I really believe it's because I flirted with it. Now, I'm not going to get nitpicky here. I think we go over the line with flirting with darkness sometimes into a legalistic realm. Not everything we do is flirting with darkness. I'm just going to say it. It might be controversial. Come out to trunk or treat tonight. It's not flirting with darkness, okay? It's a good alternative to what we have going on. It's not flirting with darkness. We got to be careful. But there are things out there that we flirt with that we got to be careful of. There is demonic influence. Now, I believe greater is he that is in me than he's that in the world. I don't have to fear darkness. I don't have to fear because where I walk, the spirit of God walks. When I'm walking in the spirit, God's with me. I don't fear it. But there's another thing that when you're not really doing good spiritually, you're not in the zone, and then you flirt with this darkness, Things can attach. Oppression happens. You expose yourself to these attacks. And if you have, feel like that, if you felt like you flirted with darkness and you feel like fear, oppression, different things in your life, I have a great book I'll recommend. It's called Steps to Freedom in Christ by Neil T. Anderson. I go through this book every couple years. And what it does is just helps to identify, you pray as you go through and you identify these things that maybe you've exposed yourself to over the years and just clean them out. I'm a big believer in inner healing. I'm a big believer in going through 
and, and, and doing a heart check from time to time and an inventory on what, what we've allowed into us. Because the thing is, God's bigger and he's great, but sometimes we open the door every once in a while to some things that we shouldn't. And then we just take care of them. We don't have to fear it. I don't fear that 20 some years ago when I was in college, I watched this movie, that's long gone. We don't have to fear this stuff. The last thing, and I think the most exciting thing is this. We don't fight with our power, but with God's authority. We don't fight with God's power, but our authority. I love this scripture in Matthew 10. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Jesus gave his 12 disciples, here's the authority. Here's my authority. Now, I used to think he just gave them his power, but he didn't give them his power. He gave them his authority. It's a difference. He said, here's my authority I give you to do this. You're doing it in my name, not in your own name, in my name. Equate it to this. If I were to go out here under Ryan Road and I tried to stop traffic in what I'm wearing right now, tried to wave everyone down to stop, people would just keep going or wonder what I'm doing. But if I went out there, if someone gave me a police car and a police uniform and I went out there and I put the lights on, what would everyone do? They'd pull over, they'd try to figure out what's going on and they would obey because there's an authority that was given to me there. This is what Jesus does. He gives us authority. He gave his disciples authority. He gives you authority to battle. And a message like this can seem a little scary. Oh my gosh, we got this enemy and he's trying to attack. Um, it can actually create some fear in some people. I know it can. But we're able to operate in the authority of God. We don't have to be victim to the enemy. God is so much bigger than the enemy. So much bigger. And with him behind us, we have absolutely nothing to fear. I love this scripture in 2 Kings 16, 15 through 17. I've talked about this. I've preached about it before, but I love it so much. It's a story about Elisha and how the enemy is coming for Elisha. There's an entire kingdom of people. Entire army surrounds Elisha coming to kill him. And his servant, in verse 15, says, When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. And he said, Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? We're surrounded. And Elijah says, Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. When you walk around, you have angels around you. You have the Spirit of God on you. You have a force of people with you walking everywhere you go. We have nothing to fear. I've got God. He cast the enemy out of heaven. I've got him. How do we fight? Put on that full armor of God. One thing I want to say is talk about it. In closing here is the sword of the spirit. The word of God. 
This is how Jesus fought. I, I don't know if you remember, but there's a, a story in the Bible where Jesus was fasting for 40 days in the wilderness and the enemy came and he tried to lead and tempt Jesus away from his calling. And he came to Jesus and Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and he was hungry and he said, hey, you hungry? All you got to do is see those stones right there, turn them into bread. You can do it. You've got power. Just do it. It's no big deal. What did Jesus say? He said, it is written. He quoted scripture. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus battled with Satan. And he quoted scripture to overcome the temptation. Satan came back to him a second time. It wasn't enough once. He said, hey, come on. Why don't you just throw yourself off the edge of this cliff? Angels will protect you. See, he thought Jesus was in a weakened state after fasting for 40 days. He thought he can get to him just like he thinks he can get to you when you're in a weakened state. He comes with the same lies, with the same temptation that he came at Jesus with. And what does Jesus say? It is written, thou shalt not put the Lord God, your God, to the test. He defeated his lies with the truth of God's word. Satan came a third time. Why? Because he doesn't give up easily. He said, I'll tell you what. If you bow down to me right here, right now, I'll give you anything you want. This is my world. This is my earth. Whatever you want to be, famous, rich, you don't have to die in a couple years. I'll give you the best life this earth has to offer, money, fame, whatever you want. What did Jesus do? He said, it's written. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only away from me and Satan fled. Then scripture goes on to say that the angels came and ministered to Jesus. You see, there's another world out there. There's another realm, a spiritual realm that actually influences this physical realm. But I love what James says. He says, submit yourselves to God. This is what James tells us to do. Submit yourselves to God. Some of us, I want to ask you, how are you doing with this? Maybe there was a time in your life you were fully submitted to God. Maybe you've strayed away a little bit. Maybe you're not 100% submitted anymore, but the Bible says submit yourself to Christ. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. When you submit to the authority of God, when you walk in the spirit and the enemy comes to attack, you can resist the enemy and he'll flee from you. And then the Bible, James goes on to say, when you draw near to God, he will what? Draw near to you. God is close. As we draw near, as we seek him, as we invite him into our worlds, he's there. He promises never to leave us and never forsake us. We don't have to fear. I want to close with one story and then we'll be done. A couple of weeks ago, I went downstairs into my storage room in my basement. And my basement's not finished, so it doesn't have a lot of lights in there. 
And as I was pulling a piece of luggage out, I knocked the light bulb off, you know, where there was a light bulb hanging down. I knocked it completely off. And I didn't just like shatter the light bulb. I literally knocked it out of the socket and ruined the whole socket. I tried again for like an hour to put that back together. Couldn't do it. I need an electrician, I think. But it was dark in that room. I couldn't see much anymore because that was the only light in that room. And so the next day, all of a sudden, my internet went out for no reason. Talk about a spiritual attack. Come on. In this day and age, no internet? So I called the internet company. And they walked me to the steps. Did you uh, unplug it and plug it back in? Yes, I unplugged it, plugged it back in. They're saying, we're not getting any internet signal to your house. Go check the outside wire. I go, I check the outside wire. I'm on the phone for an hour. Basically, we have to schedule an appointment for someone, a technician to come out because I have no internet. So they couldn't get me in for a week. So I have a week of no internet. It's hard in this day and age to have a week with no internet. So the day that they're scheduled to come, I decide, well, this guy might need to get in the basement in my storage room. That's where the cable comes in from the outside. So I'm going to put a light there for him. So I get this big shining light that we use to film some videos. And I shined it into this storage room. And when I shined it into the storage room, I saw something I hadn't seen when I called a week ago. I saw that my cord coming in from the house that was plugged into the outlet had come out halfway. And all I had to do is go like that, and I had internet again. But I couldn't see it because it was dark in there. I couldn't see it clearly. It looked plugged into me. Because when it's dark, we can be deceived. It could look different. But when the light goes on, guess what? Darkness leaves. It's impossible for darkness to shine in a room that's lit. You have the light of Christ. You have nothing to fear. That's what I'm going to pray this morning. Is it anybody who feels like they've been walking in darkness or that darkness has attached themselves to it through fear, through any other thing that I mentioned today, that the light would shine so greatly, the Spirit of God shine so greatly that it would remove all fear, all darkness from your life? Would you stand with me this morning, please? We're going to close with this song. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to sing this song from a place of victory this morning. Sing this song from a place of victory. The lyrics go something like this. It says, look what you've done. How could you fall so far? It's a song about a, a, a person who's being attacked by the enemy, the lies, the darkness is coming into her life. It says, you should be ashamed of yourself. So I was ashamed of myself. The lies I believe, they got some roots that run deep. I let them take hold of my life. I let them take control of my life. But standing in your presence, Lord, I can feel you digging the roots up. I feel you healing all the wounds up. And I sing hallelujah, look what you've done. You spoke your truth in me. 
the lies I began to believe they had to go. Let's sing this together from a place of victory this morning. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.